Hello, Eleanor. My name is James Fonda. I'm here to... I love the sweater vest. Well, thank you. I'm not often... You have it all. Warm loafers, second-hand slacks, chattered briefcase. I'm not quite sure I follow. But the truth is in the details. The lines on your face. Your posture. Distinct lack of concern with your hairstyle. Did Miss Olivia send a bargain bin find him with me? How quaint. Very observant, young lady. I assume you have experience with troubled youth. Most likely from bad neighborhoods. I imagine the return rate isn't particularly high in those situations. But it also makes each success that much more satisfying. Not so conducive to satisfying home life, though, is it? Hey everybody, welcome to the film room. Uh, we are going to be talking today about a film uh, I saw at the Casey Film Fest this year, uh, Prodigy. And we have the filmmakers and principal cast on. Say hi, everybody. Hey, Hello. Uh, so let me introduce. This is the largest group we have had uh, on this cast, uh, which is very cool. Yeah, we have co-director, co-writer Alex Hoy. That's me. Hey. Uh, we have the also co-director, co-writer Brian Vidal. That is me. Awesome. Uh, we have lead actor. Yes, we have lead actor uh, <laughs> Richard Neal. Hello. Here. We also have uh, lead actress Savannah Lyles. Hey. <laughs> she's been she's been waiting for that. <laughs> this is my cue. Yeah. So welcome everybody. So yes, where to start? What was the inspiration for this film? You know the the actual genesis of the the project. It it started as a an idea I had for a screenwriting contest. There was a uh, there was a contest where. Uh, everyone submitted various log lines. So, you know, one one line synopsis of the entire film. And so I just kind of, you know, I came up with a bunch of ideas, submitted all of them, and then this idea actually ended up winning. Oh, nice. In the contest. And so, you know, I kind of just put it in my back pocket. I wasn't thinking of, you know, working, working on it at that time. Uh, but then Alex and I, uh, we've been working together for a long time in various, on various films, various projects. We've done a lot of writing together. And so I, I took this idea to him uh, at one point and we sort of, you know, actually we were tossing ideas back and forth. And then I tossed this one out and he really sort of latched onto it. And from there, it sort of just developed very quickly uh, from that, you know, nugget of an idea to a full outline and uh, and then to a draft. And then eventually we sort of just decided that that's, this project had to be made. Yeah. And it was. It was a uh, uh, just a little background for because it's not a uh, mainstream movie. I think a lot of people probably don't know what it is. It's like it's a kind of psychological thriller about a psychologist who comes into this weird military facility and they're warning him about this dangerous patient he's going to have to see. And when he finally gets shoved into this interrogation cell, he's sitting across from little Savannah Lyles, who is a nine-year-old freckle-faced little redhead who. He has to kind of then pick apart and figure out what's going on with this whole situation and what the deal is. What I really enjoyed about this movie is that you can tell people this premise, and I think you can get 
just as many people who will figure out where it's going to go as won't. And I think it'll probably have more people that won't figure out where it's going because I, I certainly couldn't. I certainly couldn't <laughs> see where it was going, and that's a testament to the quality filmmaking that I saw. Yeah, we we've gotten that uh, we've gotten that a lot about the unpredictability of kind of where it's going, especially from the place that it starts. And you can see in some of our marketing and our poster and teaser and things like that that we play up almost like a horror aspect or element to it, which is uh, you know it's not it's kind of unfair because it it's really more that kind of suspenseful setup that there's not much of a horror element to it once it kind of gets into the meat of it. But uh, I think that that, again, kind of offers this little bit of misdirection that people have responded to. Well, it's because we're so we know our genre tropes and it's fun to watch a movie like this where seriously, 10 minutes from the end of this movie, I could not have told you where I thought it was going to (laughs) go. And I loved that. I loved sitting here on my couch watching this and going, "Okay, I just don't know where this is going to go. And I want to find out. That's great. That's a that's that's a, a huge that's a compliment. High, high compliment, right? I mean, I I, I I will say real quick, not to get too far off topic, but the way that I watched this film was, I was sitting down on my couch and I was I had a ton of errands I had to run on Wednesday. But I thought, you know what? I'll just start watching this and then I'll come back to it after I do my errands. I wound up putting everything I was going to do off because I just <laughs> had to see what was going to happen next. That's uh, that's wait, wait, yeah. We we beat the errands. I like that. I hope you still got them all done. Mm, actually, I didn't. That's a funny. <laughs> but that was because of other things. That was because of some extenuating circumstances, uh, uh, including the little one that you hear in the background. <laughs> She's the big extenuating circumstance. <laughs> That's a. She'll, we'll put that on her business card someday. <laughs> yeah. But it just, I really and truly, I I, I really was just so gripped by the film and uh, I mean that makes me sound really unprofessional because it's like but uh, but I kind of like to do that sometimes when I'm going to do a movie for the cast where I'll watch it in pieces so that I can really consider it and instead in this case it was like no I just really want, I really want to see where this is going I want to finish this <laughs> well, that's that's fantastic because we we spend a lot of time on the script sort of trying to craft the narrative in a way that that really would keep people engaged and keep people sort of guessing exactly what was going to happen so that's Definitely high praise. Like, I love that it was filmed in black and white. Well, actually, I think you mentioned it was filmed in color at the screening. Yeah. What was the push to uh, to get it in black and white? Uh, so the black and white, uh, I mean, th- the initial discussions about black and white started very early on because mm-hmm. we had a lot of uh, Twilight Zone influence oh, yes. uh, initially in the initial conception because of the... You know, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits kind of thing, because that was the old school kind of more heady science fiction that relied more on the character and the dialogue and uh, the richness of the narrative, uh, as opposed to the kind of spectacle and the CGI and that kind of stuff. And we knew we were going to we knew we were going to live in that world. And so I had initially uh, suggested black and white and Brian did not like that idea. And we, you know, we were trying to, he's, you know, he made a good point that we're trying to sell a movie in 2014 and, you know, that's, uh, it's going to be easier to sell in color than it is in black and white. So we, we ended up filming in color and then it wasn't until after the fact when Brian was the editor on it, that he started taking frames and putting them in, in black and white and showing me how good they looked. And then it ended up being him having to convince me at the, on the, on the back half to go back to black and white. (laughs) Yeah, it's always hard to admit when Alex is Alex has been right all along, but uh, but this was one I had to uh, had to give up to him. 
Yeah, what's funny? E- it gets easier when he gets used to it. So it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is you're actually arriving at a moment where there is starting to be a little bit of a genre push towards black and white with things like the Mad Max Fury Road chrome black and chrome edition. Yeah. And right. Logan, Logan is going to get right. Albert. If you want to see that movie, that might actually be the way to go. Cause... Yeah, I might just have to do that just as a first go, and then I won't be able to watch it in color. <laughs> now, I mean, you'll you'll probably be able to watch it in color because it's a great-looking movie no matter Right. Yeah, the episode of The Twilight Zone that scares me the most is It's a Good Life, so uh, well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I worship The Twilight Zone, so I can totally see that influence all the way. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a big one. We and we we got a it, we were really happy because a lot of people. I mean, I think the black and white obviously helped, but we've gotten a lot of people after screening say, "Oh, it really had that feeling," or before we had even brought it up. So, I think that that uh, it definitely shone through all the way from initial conception all the way to final product. It does. It does. Uh, Where did you film this? Uh, we filmed in Riverside, California, uh, and we. Uh, one of the reasons we chose to film there was uh, they just have a great sort of film incentive program where, you know, we were able to go in there uh, because we were uh, sort of a lower budget project. Uh, they really helped us with things like permits and locations. We got, uh, we really were able to get in and do everything for, you know, at very little cost to us. And they let us get into the location, you know, a month early. Uh, really fantastic working with them and also just, uh, I'm pretty sure without sort of working with them, we wouldn't have been able to make the film. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you filmed it, uh, I think you mentioned, at uh, an animal shelter, like an abandoned animal shelter. Yeah, so the deal with Riverside is if you shoot on uh, county property, mm-hmm. you you get a certain amount of days that you basically can shoot for free. And, wow, nice. you know, all your prep and takedown time. So that was a huge incentive for us. And they, you know, they have all these county properties that they'll take around and show you. And one of them was this abandoned animal shelter that, you know, we we found this big room in it, which, you know, we thought, well, we could build something here. And once we kind of worked it out with them, they basically just gave us the keys and said, do whatever you want. You know, it's an old abandoned building. Nobody nobody really is going to do anything with it. So they every request we had for what we wanted to do in terms of the set, they were okay with and. It made for uh, it made it it made it us able to really build that, that set up into something that was pretty impressive by the end. Nice. It it's really effective because you can tell that it makes the way that it just looks. You can tell that this was something real at some point. It right. It really pops. Right, and we wanted to make it feel like a kind of give it that kind of you know almost broken down like almost like black site kind of feel where you know yeah. Uh, Everybody's they've bit they're using something that maybe wasn't initially meant to be used this way and they've kind of conformed it. Fitting. Fitting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is there actually like a room that uh looked into another room? Like that? <laughs> no, no. We we had to go in and uh build a build a fake wall there and ah. build built a uh you know, a window looking into the room. It's funny because on one side of the room it's a you know, it's just glass. Uh, just regular window window and then on the other side it's uh it was a mirror so we had these giant 
you know, four by eight sheets of glass and, and mirror that we had to keep replacing, swapping during the filming in order to uh, to have that effect. Nice. That's really good. We got pretty good at it, though. It was like a pit crew. We could just like, you know, un- <laughs> unscrew, unscrew all the things and pop the glass out and switch them down. You know, I think we could do it in five, ten minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I can so. relate. That's that's kind of what I do for a living. Uh, at almost uh, in terms of uh, newspaper work is uh, I kind of get that way about newspaper pages. It's like, okay, tear everything up, rebuild it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think a, a lot of my sort of stress on the film set was directly related to swapping out that glass because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, such a big sheet and so expensive that it was like okay we uh we drop this well then we don't have glass for right. the rest of the so what'd you do uh for the part where you had to have the glass break uh alex can uh, can tell you that story yeah that was uh that was a fun day on set because we you know we don't we had one big piece of glass that we could break basically and these pieces of glass cost like 300 bucks or something so we were like we really only want to do this once and basically the way we did it was we set all the actors up in front of the in front of the camera and had them fall with the green with like with a you know we put a big green um piece of felt or something over the glass so that we could uh, chroma key it in right. and then and then so we had them all fall and then we left the camera in the same spot we put the piece of glass on and basically what you're seeing is a is me I'm on the other side of the glass off camera and I throw a, it was a glass vase. So you couldn't see it when it actually hit the glass it was, since it was glass too. Right. But uh, hmm. it, I threw it right in the middle and we hit it right in the middle and the glass all popped out and you could see it all pop. And it looked like it all blew in just the way it was supposed to. So oh, it was perfect. a very nerve wracking moment and we, 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 we got it perfectly. And then the, the funny, the, we have a great video of, of that happening. And then afterwards, Brian comes on and says, "Oh, sorry, we weren't recording." So <laughs> that was that. That made my heart skip a few beats, but he was just kidding, luckily. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, and I, I think that 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 uh, the way the uh, we broke the glass is kind of uh, it's similar similar to the way we approached pretty much all of the effects in the movie. Uh, it was just sort of uh, we we took what we had and we wanted to make it practical. Uh, but also, you know, use visual effects to sort of enhance everything. So uh, a lot of the effects you see in the film, the things with the table, the thing with all, everything with the papers and the chess pieces, that was all done practically with either, you know, magnets or wires. I guessed was, magnets on the chess pieces. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm, I'm very, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of like historical hoaxes. Mm-hmm. So I looked, when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, this is, this is the Turk. The Turk. The, it's kind of like, the, there was this supposed automaton robot, mm-hmm. and it was what it was actually was was someone underneath the board moving with magnets. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I recognized that at once. It made me happy to spot that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then everything else was, you know, just was wires and painting things out and all, you know, that that sort of old school approach to, uh, to the effects. Yeah. Uh, also lends uh, credence to the uh, the Twilight Zone thing too. Yeah, yeah. We wanted it to. Uh, we knew we would have limitations because of our uh, size of production and budget, and so we we wanted to make sure we did everything 
in a way that was within our means and that we could still make look really good. And so we did we did extensive tests on every effect that we were going to do and make sure made, to make sure we could put something on screen that would, would hold up. It looks impressive. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, no, we've gotten we've gotten a lot of compliments on the effects. So yeah, I think they they turned out. Yeah, I would not be able to guess that there is uh, that there is no CG in there. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I mean, there's there's certain moments like when the 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 ch in the chess game where the knight moves, mm -hmm. uh, it hops over another piece. Oh yeah, and yeah, that one was uh that was literally just Alex picking up the piece and moving it and then I had to go in and paint his whole arm out and his hand out and all that. So that was that, that was one of the most time consuming shots of the of the piece. But I, I think it was worth it. I think it paid off. I bet. Wow. It looks good. It looks good. The, the effects work in this movie, it's really nice. It's really subtle. It's really it keeps with the film's overall low key tone, which I really enjoy. I really get a lot out of that um tone. And and I, I will say the black and white I think really helps with the ambiguity of where is this going. I want to point that out. Like, and it makes the splashes of color that you do get that much more effective. Right. Yeah. That was. Uh, I think that that's uh, that's definitely was in play, especially again back from those kind of Twilight Zone uh, origins, and it, it mixing the black and white with something like science fiction I think adds to the mystery of what's going on within the within the story i also think it gives it a sort of a, a timeless quality in the oh yeah, yeah. you, you kind of don't know exactly when this is taking place or or sort of uh, uh, how long ago this was and so i think that that's something interesting we've had people come up after some of our screenings and say oh well i sort of thought this was kind of like a you know 80s thing or you know early 90s and so it's interesting to hear people's different takes on when they think it sort of actually happens yeah it's like this all this equipment could be from uh almost any era except everybody has cell phones yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah it works but cell phones have become so invisible that we don't even think that oh they did i mean i didn't i didn't have a cell phone until uh 2008 there's there's a joke there's a joke in, uh, what is it, uh, the Wet Hot American Summer TV series where one of the, you know, it takes place in the 80s, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, somebody uses a cell, like an iPhone, and then at the very end of the scene, someone says, what's that? Oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I do like that ambiguous era thing, uh, that, 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 that idea that it does create that in your head, it's. It, it is very effective. I mean, and it it speaks to the fact that remove the cell phone element, and this really could be any time, any place. It, it's, it, it cuts to the elemental idea of the story. Which right. Is, this is a basic concept. That this, this could totally be the 50s, if yeah. not for the small signs, and I like that. Uh, but yeah, how did you get uh, your two lead actors... Well, let's let them tell the stories. Savannah, you were first. You want to tell them about where we uh, found you from? Uh, well, my mom, she saw the role uh, for a feature film, her, uh, Intense Girl. And so um, she was, apparently she was the first one to submit. And we got an audition. And then we were, I, yeah, we went to someone to film it for us. We didn't have all the equipment, 
And so we had our filament and then we sent it in and then we got the we got to read the whole entire script. And so we spent like three days. That was my bedtime story. Script. <laughs> <laughs> and it it was really fun to read. And then um I found out I got a call back and it was funny because the callback was right after I got wrapped on set for one of my uh, short films. Nice. For the day. And um, so we left set and then we went to my audition. And then I was in Arizona when I found out I booked it. And we have a big house in Arizona. And so I ran around our entire house <laughs> screaming <laughs> and jumping. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah, nice. we knew we had we knew because Savannah was nine when we start when she when we auditioned her and we even started filming, and wow. so we we knew that that was a, a big role to fill was uh, with a nine year old or someone of that age because uh, those aren't so easy to find and so we had done a bunch of auditions with young boys because that was the the role part was originally written for a boy, really and yeah and so we had then uh, finally decided that the boys weren't good enough and opened it up to girls and savannah was the first video submission we got for that and so we uh immediately knew we had made the right decision and that was kind of the moment we we said okay this maybe we can actually pull this off yeah and, and i will say since this is the kind of role that's often cast with someone much older the authenticity really helps this movie yeah really helps it yeah no we we that's what i'm glad you said that because that's what was our thought going in was you know it'd be a really great hook if we could get a young person like as young as we could find to pull off this kind of hannibal lecter-esque character and you know we we weren't we weren't sure if we were going to be able to find that or not and that was so that was the first thing we did when we we said let's do this is we started casting this role because we knew once we had that then we'd actually have a movie that we could make uh, otherwise we'd be kind of uh on up up the creek without a paddle if you will yeah right. we 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 knew that if you know if we had had to cast a 14 15 year old in this role it sort of it it would lose a lot of its sort of hook cuz i feel like seeing such a young person uh in in such a dark way is so uncommon that it's it's a nice change of pace and it it is one of the things, I mean, obviously on her poster, she's front and center. So I feel like that's something that people are drawn to. Right. And then e equally as important was uh, the role of Fonda, which Richard Neal ended up filling for us, which was the second thing we did. And uh, the story we like to tell about Richard is that when we brought him in, we had uh, a bunch of people come in to audition and he was the only one we... We had no notes for, and we were just like, oh, well, that was that was really good. Uh, thank you. And we sent him away, and I'm not sure what, whether he thought that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, you never know. Um, but it was, um, you know, I read with both Alex and Brian, and then I think the callback was with Savannah, wasn't it? That's right. That's right. You guys read together on the callback. The dream team. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I think you threw... Um, new scenes at us that, that I had never actually seen. Yeah, that's right. And, did uh, I mean, do you remember, do you remember the auditions, Richard? Do you remember like coming in? Oh, I do. Well, I remember, um, well, you know, this town's gets relatively small, but I, I remember, uh, one of the actors that were, was in the waiting area with me and who I've known for years. And 
Well, I just remember, I remember the second time for the callback, you came in and you actually wore a sweater vest and it was like a 95 degree day. And, and it, like that place had really crummy air conditioning. And I just remember like we were all feeling the heat and I was like, man, this poor guy wore his sweater vest and everything. He was committed. It paid off. It's hard to find a sweater vest. Uh, I think I can find that sweater vest at a goodwill. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, that's uh, because, you know, the description of the character, which I really liked, is that he's this un- unkempt fellow, the hair, you know, she, you know, Savannah's character makes a comment about the hair, don't care anything about his appearance, he's kind of frayed. Uh, schlubby. Emotionally, a little schlubby, he's hunched sort of um, physicality and um, so that's very easy for me and you know of course it's the emotional hook I mean these guys described it as I know you have all the uh, Twilight Zone references but they described uh, you know when you think about Goodwill Hunting and uh, the Robin Williams therapist who um, saves the child and uh, that's sort of benevolent um spiritual sort of evolved a detached person it's very easy to, to get into that mind and, and uh, emotionality with the, that, that feeling of being a loner but you connect with this character you connect with who's also alone and is frightened and uh, so that that to me was a big hook to the uh, the reference to the goodwill hunting that you are um, you see as sort of a, an understanding with this girl and uh, that she's misunderstood and um, if I could just bring out her um, vulnerability and, and the things that actually make her a child then we can save her we can, uh, we can show the evil forces the militaristic bureaucracy that is only interested in her uh, powers that, we can, that she is a human there and that uh, we just have to show her Right. When I and I, I really thought that uh, I always really thought of Richard's part as kind of this modern day Atticus Finch, who mm-hmm. it's that almost kind of perpetual optimism in the face of whatever you know kind of comes at him, and uh, that was something that I thought Richard really sank into very easily and was so so effective in communicating to the audience. And I think that that's you know to me partially why the dynamic between the two of them works so well is because. Savannah was very good at being a jerk, <laughs> and uh, and Richard was very good at uh, at kind of taking all of that and like putting back, you know, always giving back the the kind of uh, the the never ending smile that he would kind of come back with, and that that I think that worked so well to kind of get under her skin even further as as the characters. Well, Alex had to also temper me a bit because my instincts as an actor. A lot of people, instincts as actors, you want to um, react. And um, sometimes, you know, when you're messed with and you want to react, and uh, Alex always had to remind me that uh, this guy doesn't lose his temper ever. <laughs> right. I can understand the instinct to, to react. Uh, again, I think about the person sitting on my lap right now. I, I get that. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's interesting that you say that because the... Uh, in a lot of ways, the Fonda character serves as the father figure for for, for Ellie throughout the movie. Uh, and I feel like Richard did a great job of of sort of being the ultimate sort of dad in that he he approaches the situation with this sort of unconditional uh, 
sort of he he's not patience, just taking right. things, uh, patience. He's not taking things yeah. at face value. He's not taking things as sort of the he sees the the girl beneath all of the sort of tantrums and the the anger yeah. and all that. He sees like okay, this is you know this is a child, and so there are yeah. things that children do that that we have to look at in a different way. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite moments in the film is like when, kind of when the cracks start to show, uh, in the facade that um, that Ellie is trying to put up uh, after the first chess game, and she loses. I complete control of the board. Chess, by nature, is a defensive game. To protect what is important, we build walls. If I can understand how and why my opponent builds their walls up. It gives me an advantage when I want to break them down. At that point, what matters isn't the quantity of pieces you take, but the quality of those you do. Check. Mate. Hit the pulse, Ryan. Wait, if that wasn't hostile, I don't know. Another game. No. Afraid you might not be so lucky this time? I'm not afraid to lose. But if I did, I certainly hope I would do it with a bit more grace. And that's kind of a, that's a very fatherly thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm yeah, not going to give you this. Yeah, no, it was a cool moment. I, I'm, right, and we really, I really liked that moment because it was this first kind of chance to see that this was an adult and a child. Mm -hmm. And when it when it came time to be firm, he was firm and he didn't just, you know, he didn't give in to her, you know, impulsive yeah. desire. Well, the interesting thing, too, is that uh, and there's that uh, discussion with the um, the powers on the other side of the wall about it and mm -hmm. referring to a, a, a child's temper tantrum. And that that's what was revealed, that she's right. at core and emotionally uh, immature person and she is a child and that's what I saw I did not see craziness I saw just somebody who is a child again we we cracked the smooth there a little bit right yeah and I think that's what really elevated this film for me was that so often you'll see a movie like this and they're so in, intent upon creating this you know amazing unreal character that they forget that fundamentally it is still a story about a child, and they they still have to conform to that behavior, and that gets so lost in so many very even very good movies. And I really liked seeing that. That really hit me on an emotional place. Again, obviously, I'm a little bit more susceptible right now to stories <laughs> about little girls because of the obvious in my life. But it's true, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a father of a, a girl that's soon sixteen. Wow. So. Uh, it moves very quickly for my friends. Um, <laughs> but you always still have that um, feeling like, what happened to that little girl? I mean, you always have, you always have that relationship with that child. I mean, I'm, I'm, go I'm going through that even as I just like watch her start to talk and walk, and it's like, it's humbling. It's just you so. You couldn't do that days ago. I, I have a niece who is uh, going to be turning nine in June, and so yeah, that's uh, that's that's star uh, also starting to be. It's like wow, 
Uh, I see pictures of her now when she was six. It's like, geez, she's getting so tall and she used to be uh, yay high. And uh, uh, her personality is really exploding. That's the crazy thing about it. That's why I thought Linklater from Boyhood was just so genius. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that film. And it's so, such an interesting thing when you talk to people and the reaction. Parents get that film so they, they see it's the most profound experience and people who have never experienced parenthood are just like yeah, it was alright it was okay yeah. <laughs> I feeling like it was like Citizen Kane like wow that film just blew me it captured the heartbreak of being a parent what happens like when a child grows up every stage is like another death that little person mm-hmm. is gone and that little person is gone and that next little person is gone they don't remember it, nor they want to. They don't want to remember it. But you keep remembering every moment of that, and that remembrance is just heartbreaking. Hmm. You know that that movie. Honestly, that movie. I um I I saw that movie as I was finishing up work on. Uh, all right, I, I guess I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Time was. Um, the thing is, I grew up in Texas. Um, until like from birth until 10 and so that movie hit me as extra hard because i because it was in houston and that's where i was born and i was like this movie is like this is really accurate this is really true uh but yeah as i said getting back to this film you really y'all really did get at something very real about this connection there and that's what made that last shot so cathartic for me because it Going to color in that last shot was so cathartic. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it's like, okay, this is the reality. This is where it's gone, and I'm so glad it went where it went. I would have been, I probably would have been horribly depressed for the rest of the day <laughs> if it had gone where I was afraid it had gone. I'm serious. Yeah, we've had a lot. Affecting. It's it's interesting you say that because we've had a lot of people after screenings say like, ask us like, oh, did you consider? going going a darker way with the ending and you know we had had very early discussions about like the fact that it could go one way or another but we ultimately i mean pretty early on settled on the uh positive catharsis being a uh being the way to go with it and it just seems uh, i mean to me i know it, it really it really feels like a story about two people that are kind of filling gaps for each other. You know, obviously it's very overt in the way that, you know, she lost a parent, he lost a, a daughter and they kind of both step into that role a little bit for each other. But I, I, you know, I really I feel th- like it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have felt right to leave them, you know, leave them un untethered to each other at the end. Yeah. And I can tell that I, I could tell as I watched that last shot that, it was like, okay, it's one of those things. I couldn't guess where it was going, but like all good endings, it's the only correct ending that you could have come up with. And and I can, t- and thinking back, I could tell, okay, this was obviously what they'd always, what they'd always planned. Like I could see that. I could see, and that was really effective. That was really strong filmmaking. Yeah, we worked we worked really hard try because the challenge was to to convince people that 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 it could go the other the other way. Because obviously with a small child like this, it's, it's very difficult to sort of portray her in a way that is as menacing as necessary for people to think, okay, yeah, she, she deserves to die. Like that's, Aww. you know, that you, to do that is <laughs> very much a challenge. Um, but for us, it was more about uh, just 
letting the idea creep into people's minds that, okay, if this can go another direction, that, then they'll at least want it to go the direction that we are taking it. And so by the time we get there, there will be that catharsis. And, and that's what and that's what I think y'all pulled off fantastically. Uh, I, I, I really, because, you know, I'm... I'm going to have the ego to say that I consider myself a writer. I'm working on a project right now. And I can relate to having those story decisions in your head where you're like, where is this going to go? Uh, You've written a book. You're a writer. I'm, I've written a book. That was a memoir, though. That was a memoir. <laughs> that, that, that one, there were that one, all my choices were bound very much by what had I lived. I, I have written a book, though. Yes, I've written. I've written and published and sold a book. So, yes. Nice. Yeah, I've that sold. counts. Sure. I've sold copies. In fact, the first person that bought a copy of my book is on the cast right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Albert was the first person to buy a copy because it's on the Kindle store. So, yeah. But I, as I said, I, I really, I can, I can really respect the level of, of craftsmanship that went into this script. Uh, there, it, you know, it's, it's a brief film at uh, about 80 minutes, but I really appreciated economy of storytelling choices uh i watched a movie the other night actually that was only 75 minutes before credits uh cloverfield i watched that with my wife and that was another one where i noticed the economy of storytelling choices and i appreciate it when i can see that in a in a work and y'all had that going wonderfully for you awesome yeah Thank I, you. I think a large part of that is uh Obviously, we, we take a lot of credit for that, but I think the actors get a lot of credit, too, just because they were able to sort of take uh, such a limited amount of sort of story and portray the subtleties and the sort of the, the little things that are, are important for sort of getting those things across in a big way. A lot of the script, when we wrote it, uh, you know, we were writing these things and we went over it time and time again and we were putting in these little, you know, sub themes and all the subtext and a lot of sort of rich background. But uh, we weren't sure. And especially in the case of the Ellie character, we weren't sure if if, you know, the actors would be able to sort of kind of get these deep sort of undercurrents across. And I think that uh, obviously with with Richard, he's a he doesn't get as much credit because of his experience, but he also rocked that as well. But I, I think that both of them and all of our other cast was able to sort of take those little, those little beats and those little sort of undercurrents and make those feel like a whole cohesive film. I think because you guys worked on the script for five years, that you've really flushed out emotional backstories for these characters. And uh, you, you, you had a, um, you provided a sort of, um, because we didn't have that much rehearsal, so you provided um, a really nice shorthand to all the actors about things and motivations and, uh, you know, what's going on. You know, you have the two very distinct therapists in the other room, and then you have, you know, different military personnel. And, and, and so you were able to provide those sort of biographies. And right. We tried to make sure there was a... There was a a host of uh, of characters to kind of play off each other and uh, the personalities as well, right? Yeah, because you have everybody uh, in the control room there. And I loved the way they bounced off of each other, especially, uh, I forget the character's name, but the guy that was operating the shock switch. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of the, almost the comic relief. The, uh, yeah, he was, uh, that was a big, uh, that was a big, a big, 
part of uh, of what we were doing too because we knew we had such heavy material and so uh we knew that we would have to have some comic relief in there and um you know i i like to tell it i like to tell the story that brian is very repressed and lives like a hermit most of the time and whenever he gets around you know whenever i i remember whenever i would be around him he'd be so excited you know to try out all his dirty jokes on me and see if they were funny and so I just let him I let him go to, I let him go to town with some of his jokes on the on the script and they they came out they came out great on the other side. <laughs> yeah, the uh the Ryan character, I think uh, he he is the comic relief in a way, but uh what I really like about uh his character and sort of all the characters, but but his specifically is that he really does sort of have an arc in the way we've set him up. So we we really tried to give him uh more depth than you might give a typical sort of comic relief character, uh, especially with, uh, you know, in the beginning, he's all about uh, he's all about going on this date that he really wants to, you know, meet up with this girl. And then by the end, he sees that that's not as important as what's going on here. Right, um, right. And in a, yeah, and, and uh, in a lot of ways, uh, a big influence on sort of the control room part of the film was 12 Angry Men and sort of the. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so everyone's. Turning one person at a time. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of that same dynamic where you have right. If you remember, if you remember the, I think it was the Jack Warner character that you, um, he wanted to go to the baseball game. Yes, and was saying, uh, "Let's get out yeah. of." I noticed that actually. I, I uh, that that thought did occur to me because Twelve Angry Men is another one of those movies that I just absolutely worship, and I thought about that a little bit. That it's it really does kind of follow that dynamic of. Everybody in the room slowly falling and slowly shifting their opinions, and and it works because they they very much serve sort of as the audience surrogate, really. Like like they they all kind of reflect where your mind is at. Right, because we wanted everyone to kind of we wanted to present Ellie in a way where everybody kind of forgot that she's a little kid, and then let let them remember as the as the control room people remembered as well. They're the Greek chorus, more or less. And that's uh, that's also a uh, one-location film, more or less. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's uh, because the tensions are so high in that movie with sort mm-hmm. of so little... Uh, I mean, it's not a... That, that's also a very simple story. It's so simple that you almost wouldn't think you'd be able to uh, generate that much tension and suspense and intrigue. And so, obviously, looking to that, we sort of thought, okay, well, this is sort of the 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 goal this is a bar can we try to you know approach that in any way not to get off topic but i have kind of a story about that movie i watched it in a ninth grade uh social studies class and i did too you know okay you've got ninth graders who let's face it they don't pay attention to anything that movie absolutely held that class hostage you know you've got these ninth graders in conway arkansas and they will not move from their seats as this movie is playing it just affected them so much well so it's very uh pointing racially i mean it's very it's still very those race those racist uh instincts that people won't mess up to that comes to the surface in that film it's really well done sydney Lumet, it's really well done yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah he's he's a master yeah so i mean that it's it's effective that y'all would 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 echo that it's it's very effective yeah, we we had uh, you know we had a lot of other influences as well, and I think we touched on most of them at this point. I mean, the sort of the big ones of uh, you know we we talked about Hannibal Lecter, so Silence of the Lambs, and then uh, Twelve Angry Men, huge. Uh, 
and then Goodwill Hunting. Those were sort of the three big ones in terms of the narrative. And then also stylistically and genre wise, we had Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and things like that. Well, I mean, y'all, y'all reached, y'all reached what you were going for. I, I can say that handily. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, the the Hamill Lecter thing didn't really occur to me until uh, towards the end of the film, where uh, you know they have her bound up again, and uh, uh, on a rewatch, I noticed that the yeah they did they were actually wheeling a cart out of the room uh, just before right, first we time, see her. right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I think that's also uh, that scene is also kind of funny because you know you uh, at the beginning of the film, you know, he's debriefing him on the rules he says well you you cannot loosen her straps absolutely at any time and of course he does but uh at the end of the film when she's all strapped up she's still using her powers it's like well so that wouldn't have mattered anyway right (laughs) yeah and that's it's interesting because on watching it multiple times i think people see sort of the because after watching it the first time you realize that okay ellie Ellie could have killed Fonda exactly throughout the film if she wanted to. And I think that's sort of a, a clue to people watching. But, you know, few people pick up on it because they just think of sort of the like they're just going with the narrative at the time. Uh, exactly. So they don't think like, oh, when she flipped the table after the chess game, she easily could have just killed Fonda there. Yeah. If she was truly evil. And so I think that that's There's also that, that twist that he throws in there at the end. He says, you know, listen, if you're in control, why don't you just kill yourself? Exactly. Right. You right. could have killed yourself. That's exactly. a great moment. It really is. It, it, it's chilling, but it's yeah. it's, it's, it's correct. And I'm, I I love that part because there's this, Savannah does this like little look back to him and it's this great little subtle moment of just like, wait, what are you, what are you, wait, are you really <laughs> suggesting this? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. that was when Savannah, you remember how much you enjoyed being tied up to that uh, dolly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, in Savannah, I think throughout the throughout the entire course of filming, was a real trooper. uh, Especially when it came to uh, obviously she was dealing with some dark material, so it's it's uh, you know that's something that I yeah. Savannah, tell these guys about how much you liked being strapped in. That was your favorite part. Oh yeah, that was the best. Being in a straight jacket, a really sweaty straight jacket for five hours. We would let her out for good behavior. Yeah, I actually have on a wall behind me right now. Nice. Got it right now. Staring at the straight jacket right now. Oh, never, never, never forget. That's how you had to pay for therapy. I was gonna say I'm I'm surprised your mom doesn't use that on you more often nowadays. Who says she doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I recall, you're in that thing for a good half of the film. Yeah, at least. How long was the overall shoot of the movie? I, I y'all may have addressed that while I was uh, dealing with law. But how long was the overall shoot? We shot for uh, twelve days, so two two weeks straight, uh, six day weeks. And then we had three days of pickup shots uh, and then like, you know, the stuff outside. So it was 15 days total. But it was if I mean, it was a whirlwind. Wow. Yeah. Effective, effective work, effective work. Yeah. We, we, well, we, we, had, we hadn't really no choice in that matter. So <laughs> it was an efficient, uh, efficient shoot for hopefully an efficient movie. 
Yes. <laughs> These guys did everything, man. They were the production designer. They were the um, construction crew. They were everything. Yeah, you you might even see that Alex uh, Alex has a, a cameo in the film, uh, and he's also got a line. I think was it Handsome Guard number one? Yeah, Handsome Guard number one. That's my that's my that's my credit. Yeah, and Brian's father. That's right. That's oh right. yeah, yeah, he's in there. He's Brian's dad plays a guard. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's uh, you're referring to the end scene where they're uh, playing ch- where uh, it's gone to color and they're playing chess and they have it's revealed that they're surrounded by uh, guards. Oh no! I was a guard in the actual facility. Those guys were. Those oh. guys were the actors and PAs. Okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was one of the guards in in the facility. I at one point, I think I hand the guy a uh, the I hand the I hand the colonel uh, his flak jacket at one point or something. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, every, everyone had to wear multiple hats. I think. Uh, I think it was uh, necessary on a, on a film of film of this size. What'd you say, Savannah? Trevor. Yeah, Trevor oh, was yeah, one of the Trevor. guards. He was our hero. He was everything. Yeah, he did. The, Trevor was our was our runner on set that basically in wore as many hats as anyone else. He he He's did everything for us. Effective actor. He would, when I was going through the um, security terminal. That's right. That's Trevor, right. Yes, um, set and and uh, journal or whatever. And he has this disdainful look. He was very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a career ahead of him. Good. Take him on as your apprentice, Richard. He actually, it's a lot. You know, I, I, we had this downtime, and I was talking to him. And I think he was a, he was a resident of the area, and um, you guys would make him go run out for errands and food and all that. And he would talk to me, and I I, I acted almost like a, a a father or older brother trying to advise him. He said he was going to join the military, perhaps because he didn't see any other options. And I was trying to act personally. I was trying to talk him out of. It. I said, "Really? That's your only option." <laughs> yeah, we uh, we we chatted with him about that as well, and I think oh, he uh, I think he may have landed on something a little less uh, a little less drastic. Uh, but... I think I think Richard's just a flower child, you know, putting the daisy into his gun there. <laughs> I think he watched too many John Wayne movies, and he just romanticized. And I said, dude, people are coming back from Afghanistan. With Real serious problems. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's yeah, we, the romantic life of shooting in Riverside. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, with the crew in general, uh, everyone who stuck around really was a trooper. And, you know, we obviously in this abandoned animal shelter, uh, let's just say the facilities weren't operating at, you know, uh, full capacity uh, for anything. So, uh, you know, we were all sharing, you know, two stalls in the in the ladies' restroom. Um, we were. You guys had to call a plumber at one time too. Yeah, well, Al- Alex had to uh, step away to uh, do some plunging of his own, uh, if I recall correctly. Yep, the uh, bathroom explodes. That's on us as well as uh, you know the emotional scene we had to shoot. So we uh, <laughs> we did a we did we did a lot of things. We did a lot of things, and it was. Uh, we're hoping that the next time around, it's uh, we have uh, more hands on deck to uh, make things a little easier. That's I think the goal. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I I do know what it's like to uh, uh, run a film set where you have very limited resources. Uh, it's it can be quite frustrating and interesting. <laughs> and then both of your 
Brian and Alex's wives were both very um, involved. Brian's wife was craft service, and and, and Anna, uh, Alex's wife, was uh, the customer. Right. Oh, nice. So we had the, yeah, we had the, we had lots of, uh, and then my my father-in-law helped us build the set. My, you know, we we had yeah, everybody. You, everybody was doing all kinds of things. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Your mom, uh, mom made the uh, my mom the made straight the jacket. straight jacket. That's right. Yeah, it was a, it was a true family affair. <laughs> oh, doesn't this family like straight jackets? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that your old straight jacket when you lived back in Kansas City? <laughs> Uh no, Richard, no, no. That, mine was mine was much more secure than that one. Nice. Uh, okay, awesome. Oh gosh. All right, guys. What do you, you got? Anything else for us? Well, uh, what do you have going next? If you can talk about it. You know, we've got a couple different projects that we've been working on, um, uh, both separately and together. And so we've we've kind of got. Uh, two separate projects that we've got at the scripting scripting phase. Uh, and we're kind of going to go back and forth with notes on those. And then another project we have is sort of uh, another sort of sci-fi script that we're sort of looking at in terms of outlining and seeing, seeing what will come of that. Nice. Yeah, we've been running around so much with, with this movie that it's been hard to buckle down and, and really kind of focus on the other stuff but uh, we're hoping that once we get the movie all sold and and sent out into the world that it will uh, we'll be able to kind of capitalize on the opportunities that come from that nice. we, we hope we hope we can do something with this cast to help it get out there yeah wow that's great and, and we'll keep you guys abreast of our progress on everything and you know make sure you know whenever it's hitting the itunes or the netflix or whatever it's yeah. whatever it's going to be oh, yeah, its first do. kind of splash I, I i mentioned to some people this is the kind of movie that like something like shutter the uh horror service would really I could see this like really catching fire on somewhere like right that, yeah or, that's or what netflix. i think too yeah i'm really excited because i think once it gets out there it will it's the kind of movie that can just by word of mouth, yeah, you know, kind of get a little, pick up a little steam, and and I'm really curious to see once it has its legs, you know, where it can where it can go. Yeah, it's a good calling card. It's a really fantastic calling card, and y'all should all be extremely proud of it. It's I really had a great time with this. And Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. Next up, uh, also, uh, is there is there anything you guys would like to plug, like Twitter accounts or websites, or just go wild? Oh yeah, so um, so Prodigy is in the midst of its kind of festival run still right now, and we're gonna try and get it out there into the distribution world shortly. But uh, you can keep up with us on Facebook. Uh, I believe it's Prodigy twenty seventeen is the handle there and uh we have a website that's just uh prodigy-movie.com is our is the website where we will keep everybody up to date on all of our uh, continuing adventures as well if this if this winds up playing in like one of the arkansas film festivals and we have a few i'll be sure to tell some people to oh yeah there you go get out and get the hype out yeah absolutely yeah yeah, and if you uh, if you know anyone at the festivals that you can put us in touch with or anything like that, that would also yeah. obviously be huge. So, yeah, frustratingly, we actually lost our main festival last year, but uh, because Little Rock has a director who has gone on to make a few movies, we are getting a new film society and we'll eventually get a new festival. Okay, uh, Jeff Nichols is actually stepping up and uh, 
starting a new festival in Little Rock. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Nichols knows a thing or two about making movies, so uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I've, I've actually seen several of his movies. I think the guy's extremely talented, so... Yep, but we again, thank you all so much for coming on again. Really, really enjoyed doing it. Thank you all for just taking the time out of your morning to do this. Greatly appreciated. Pleasure. Thank you guys for having us. Absolutely. We'll, uh, thank you guys. Thanks for coming on. We'll uh, look forward to uh, we'll look forward to keeping you updated. All right. Yeah. Sounds good, guys. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Savannah. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> <laughs>